Fulhamish is back for the season by Labbrooks. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish podcast. It's the Fulhamish podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. And tonight we'll be reflecting on Scotty at the wheel as he navigates us towards the final destination of the championship. We'll be looking at his first game in charge, a 2-1 defeat in the SW6 derby to Chelsea, an improved performance, but ultimately still zero points. Uh, Tonight I've got three shipmates to join me at the helm. Don Betts. Hello, hello. Drew Healy. Hello. And Guy Barlow. Hi there. So, uh, Drew, uh, you've got some three-word reviews, and I see that you've uh, taken to Instagram. So, yeah, I've gone to Instagram today, and uh, actually, when I accidentally click on people's profiles, I'm learning a lot more about uh, some of the listeners uh, with their pictures. But uh, anyway, uh, the first one is uh, Eli Roberts, and it was uh, Kepa carried Chelsea, which certainly in the second half, probably true. Uh, We've got Tom Lava here, who says, uh, I'll take that. And uh, we've got David Binge, who gives us Scotty unshackles whites, uh, which certainly seems to be the case on Sunday. Well, we'll look at uh, the Chelsea game and also just the the, the ramifications of, of Scott Parker in charge. Uh, just to say this season, Fulhamish is backed by Labricks. For exclusive specials and promotions, head to bets.fulhamish.co.uk. And also, it's uh, been a little while since I've asked for this. Uh, if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, uh, please do give us a, a review and a rating. Uh, five stars, ideally. Let us know what you think of the show. It really helps us to uh, push out to brand new Fulhamish listeners. And, and if you don't have Apple Podcasts, but you like Fulhamish on Facebook, you can also leave us a review there we did a thing once upon a time where people rated their favourite podcaster I remember Don Betts getting quite a few of those nominations obviously uh, maybe you can leave us your favourite podcaster again I I think the score's finished I think I had two JC had one and then I think Jarman might have had one as well yeah, unfortunately for me, despite, <laughs> despite being the host, uh, no nominations for me. But if that inci- entices you to uh, leave a review, then then do that. So uh, it was a 2-1 defeat, all of the goals in the first half yesterday. Uh, but Dom, it was a, a very much improved performance for, from Scott Parker. Plenty of passion out there on the field. Yeah, it was, it was great to see. I mean, it, I said it on Instagram, it was the first time I've been coming to a game where it didn't feel like a chore. Like a lot of the games we've been going to, like Southampton, everyone knew we were going to lose, yeah, and we were going just for the sake of going. Whereas there was some, there was some hope and some optimism going into the Chelsea game that you know some Chelsea fans were were, were, were technically worried because they were like, oh, this is a game where we'd we'd lose new new manager bounce and stuff. But yeah, it was great to see, uh, you know, players playing in their actual positions. You know, that always that always helps. And yeah, it was, it was great to see sort of return of the, the passing that we've, we've become to see over the last few years under Jukanovic and obviously Parker's played under Ram and coached under Jukanovic. He's clearly learned stuff there. And, you know, I, although every time Chelsea attacked, I thought they were going to score. I, I, you, can't, you can't improve a turd. Like, the defence is still going to be terrible. So I, it, was, it was positive to see. And it was, after the game, it was definitely positive. Than if, and it, I think it really showed when... Uh, Parker did the exact same substitution as Ranieri did on Wednesday night and the uh, reaction was a lot, a lot different by taking off Kearney and bringing on Vieto. Yeah, we'll, we'll come to a couple of those substitutions because they wound me up a little bit at the time. Um, his starting lineup, though, Guy, he just went with tried and trusted. He, he played players um, where we know they're best playing. He played a 4-2-3-1, which we know is probably the system that this team is best equipped to play in. He just... It was like an ageing rock star playing the hits, wasn't it? Well, yeah, um, 
a lot was said about Ranieri in his second season at Leicester about how he tried to change stuff and that's what the players that's what made the players turn on him and you know when they won the league they just played the same team as under Pearson and Shakespeare some people saying Shakespeare was a real mastermind of that league win um, but yeah I mean I think Parker's got ambitions for the full-time job and I think he's just going to stick to what the players want really I mean I don't know what that says about player power but he just played the players where they want to play but is it player power or is it just being Common sensible sense. and playing players in the position that, that they that they want to thrive in and, that, and where they know they, they play best I, I mean there's one thing player power and, and getting a manager sacked because you don't like him and there's another thing where players are just saying look stop being an idiot and, and play me where, where I feel comfortable. Yeah, I think it'd be unfair to say that any of the players stopped playing for any of the managers. I mean, they, everybody was giving it, a, giving it a go. They just were struggling in, in the positions that were being played and that's, you know, under and under Ranieri and when it wasn't going quite so well with Slav. So I don't think there's been any stories of dressing room revolts or anything like that. It's been quite tame in that, in that uh, regard. And I think yesterday, uh, Scott had one of the easiest sort of tasks that he will have in his caretaker reign. It was, as you say, just play the hits and get people going and get people get people dancing if you want to carry the analogy on. And, and he did that. Like a good Spru- uh, Bruce Springsteen concert. That's it. <laughs> Levi's 501s tucked into shirts. We're all having a great time. Who, who would you be your favourite artist to go see play the hits? Oasis, <laughs> obviously. Obviously. Guy? I'll say blur to be contrary. Oh, well, there we go. It's the flipping battle of Britpop over there. <laughs> yeah. Is Bruce Springsteen the one for you? No, I'd go a bit more Grebo and say I'm a, I'm a big Incubus fan, so I'd go and see them. Okay, niche. Um, <laughs> so the game started, uh, and I thought that Fulham were, were fairly positive. As you say, Dom, it did look, though, like whenever Chelsea came forward, they would score, and, and ultimately it didn't take them too long to break us down. I, at the time, I was a little bit annoyed and I thought it was bad defending from Fulham for Higuain's goal. And I feel like you can break down every single goal in history and say, oh, was it was it good attack or was it bad defence? When I look back, had a second look last night, it just seemed to me like it was a well-worked goal. Um, it was slick passing from Chelsea and a great finish from Higuain. Maybe Joe Bryan could have done a little bit better, but he kind of had was doubled up and you can only mark one player, really. And... Iguain, good run, good finish. Uh, I don't think there was too much you could, too many holes you could pick in it. No, I thought it was just a good team or a top five, top six team playing how a top five, top six seems to be playing. And I was looking over this game and and the Spurs Arsenal derby. I was like, how are these teams like top four material? I thought Chelsea were, were poor yesterday, and you know, it, yeah, it's, you, you can blame every goal on a certain defensive action. Well, it's quite easy with the goals we've considered this season to yes. point, point it on. Who's to blame? But when you speak about Joe Bryan, I thought he was actually one of his better games yesterday. For he was, I think, enough the system is helping him do that because you know, I think him and Christie are both fullbacks; they're not wingbacks. But yeah, I don't think there's anything much you can really complain about the first goal. I think it's just good play from Chelsea and Higuain. Uh, and Fulham got back into it quickly, guy, and uh, it was a well-worked corner, good cross from uh, from Ryan Babel. It was the two Ryans that combined over the corner, uh, and and Chambers drifted away to the back post and it, it seemed too easy didn't it that was that was the strange thing yesterday I looked at it and said, looking for an offside flag or something like that because there should be no way that Callum Chambers should have that much space but fair play to him yeah and um, I remember actually thinking play it short because the only player they had on the near post on the edge of the box was Hazard I mean yeah. he, he's not going to put in a tackle and you know close down a cross willingly um, but yeah I mean 
Chambers did well to put it away, and not just because he scored, but I thought he was one of one of our better players yesterday overall. He's making a lot of runs in behind. He was kind of playing in that um, playing the hits, Johansson role from last year, wasn't he? Trying to get in behind, making lots of runs down the channels. Um, but I mean, it, it seems like he was a bit out of his depth, and that he's hardly ever played that role in his career, probably. Um, but I thought he, he accounted for himself well, and. Yeah, like I said, one of the better players, and I'd be happy for him to stay next year um, in the championship. To be honest, I thought it was a really good performance from him. He was picking out balls as well, uh, which is something that he's coming for criticism for not being able to find his man all the time. And so I think he's really adding to his all-round game in that position. And I think Arsenal must be there pulling their hair out because obviously that's not why they loaned him to us, but that's the that's the way we need him, and that's the way that he's coming through for us. And he's really having a. He's really having a bit of a renaissance as the season goes on and he's probably one of the contenders for player of the season, which you wouldn't have said if you'd gone to Cardiff and watched him languish at, at fullback at left back. So yeah, fair play to Chambers. He had one of his uh, one of his better games for us uh, just uh, and he's had a few of them recently. So it was nice nice to see. But it's also nice to see Ryan Barbell come in and continue his positive influence as well with another assist. Uh he was much maligned in terms of when he was announced and you know, lots of memes going around of uh, you know, Fulham signing thirty two year old Babble and all this. But actually, he's not done much wrong since he's come in, uh, considering you know what he's been asked to do in the team that he's playing. In. If he just kept his eye on the ball, though, when when Kepa dropped that clangor uh, quite early on, I think it was still nil nil at that point. And I mean, I felt sorry for him because when you when you see a seventy million pound goalkeeper go for a fairly routine catch, no one expects him to drop it in the way he did. But he just keeps his eye on it, and, it, and it's a guaranteed goal, and it would have been. A glorious one for the for the Fulham fans who were who were ready with bated breath for anything Kepper did yesterday. So it was a, it was a shame that uh, Babel didn't profiteer off that properly. Absolutely, it's funny we had the Hammersmith end was just waiting as you say for Kepper to do something, and we were trying. You could just feel it in the air. The cogs were turning, trying to find a a great chant to uh, to give him, and it was uh, Sarri take him off was uh, was the one that finally came. But you could tell we were just ready to to give him anything. But yeah, it was a shame that uh, it's a shame that Babel didn't see it. And there was a couple of things where you know usually in English football, if you know you can hear him scream man on, and you can hear them you know telling the players what's going on, which is something that's unique to English football in in many ways, and. There was a couple of times where that wasn't there on Saturday, which is a bit weird, especially on uh, Sunday, especially when uh, when uh, Babel nearly uh, nearly got that ball but didn't. Nobody really said anything to him in the crowd, which might have helped. I don't it was know. it happened so quickly it though, was and, pretty quick. and I guess at the other end of the pitch as well, Babel's going to notice quicker. I mean, it it literally dropped on Babel. Yeah, like, yeah, it's true. It he was, was just great. like, "What's that ball-shaped thing that's just <laughs> fallen up? Oh, damn it! It was the ball, and I've missed it. I've missed my opportunity." Um, Unfortunately, though, Fulham's equaliser only lasted for all of four minutes and it came around after some quite positive play. Fulham were kind of on the ascendancy after that goal. Joe Bryan uh, has clearly been taking tips off Dennis Adoy and did a marauding run into midfield. It looked from the Hammersmith end like he was hauled down by Jorginho and clearly the replays show that Joe Bryan just decided to swan dive at the uh, at the Chelsea midfielder and then they went up the other end of the pitch and whilst we were a little bit outnumbered it did seem like some old defensive mistakes again I mean Dennis Adoy showing Hazard inside is potentially one of the most criminal bits of defending I've ever seen and then fair play good good finish from Jorginho yeah but we let Jorginho score which is embarrassing <laughs> that's that's what all my that's what all my Chelsea mates were saying to me. Is like, how have you let Jorginho score a goal? But yeah, at the time everyone thought it was a foul on Joe Brown. But if you watch the hardest play, it's, it's quite obviously not a foul. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, again, it's you know. But as I said before, every time they 
did go forward, I felt like something like that was going to happen. Even in the second half when we're all over him. But yeah, it, 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 I don't know what Dennis Adoy's doing, but I don't know what Dennis Adoy's doing half the time. I mean, guy will go defending to yeah, the end, will, end of the day. I, I, just to play devil's advocate, I did, I did think he had a poor game yesterday, but there is like that line of thought that you show a player inside into where you've got more players and defenders and then you then you can defend it better. Because, yeah, but not Eden Hazard. Because, yeah, <laughs> but Eden Hazard's one of the best players in the world. Like, I'm, I'm not sure... You know, and he showed it yesterday, didn't he? I don't know, like, and he all he all, all he did showed him inside, and Jorginho pinged it in from twenty yards. Like, I, I don't know, I don't know. It was a good goal again. Like, like we spoke about the first goal being a good goal, the second goal was a good goal as well. Maybe, but I just, I, it almost wasn't really the consequence of what he did, which, which led to the goal. I think, I think they were two separate incidents. But you just look back at it, and you're thinking, I mean, have you literally any knowledge of football? I mean, like. <laughs> I, you're taught in kindergarten that if you've got a good player, show them away from the goal, not, oh, here, Aidan, have a have a free shot. I do wonder whether we'll look back in five or six years' time and, and be so shocked that Tim Ream and Dennis Adoy played 25-plus games for us in this season. I love them both for what they've done for us, but, you know, some of the... Some of the stuff this season, they're not just on Sunday. You know, there was a ball from uh, Jorginho to Higuain that he missed, and and uh, they just left Ream for dead. And it's just the massive gap in class there again. And uh, you know, Scotty can give us as much passion as we want, but as as Dom said earlier, he can't polish a turd. And now I'm talking specifically about the the defence, really. Well, yeah, I mean, in, in that particular instant, Joe Bryan also playing them on side, who, who has just been just as culpable, I think, for for lots of the defensive mistakes this season. So we went in at half time only 2-1 down I think felt pretty positive the second half it felt like all Chelsea for the first 10 to 15 minutes it didn't even feel like Fulham actually touched the ball for for, for a good quarter of an hour in that opening part of the second half however after that Fulham really really grew into the game yeah, apart from that opening 5, 10, 15 minutes of the second half, the latter stages of the second half, we were all all over them. It was just, it, it, it just felt like this wasn't that well, not well class, but that that Premier League class in the final third. Like that, if Chelsea had those sort of that possession and those chances, you feel like they would have put it away. I think that just shows the difference between us and the, and, and the good teams in this league. But yeah, we, we couldn't have thrown anything more on it. And, you know, it was, good, it was good to see them all. And it's like we weren't just sitting back and letting Chelsea have all the ball. We were going out and attacking them. They were worried. But as I said before, every time they did counter-attackers in that second half, I thought oh, they could score from here. But, you know, yeah, we had so, we had so many... Well, we didn't have loads of chances necessarily, but we were, get, we were getting the balls in the, in the right area. We just couldn't put it in the back of the net, basically. Yeah, and um, obviously Keppel was given man of the match afterwards. Uh, but, you know, I think, at least we touched upon as well, that Rico had a good game as well. He's coming for a bit of criticism, particularly at West Ham. Um, but yeah, he made a great save at the end of the first half that kept the kind of gave us that platform. And, you know, I was trying to think of a three-word review that was going to fit in the fact there were two good Spanish goalkeepers, but I couldn't, <laughs> yeah. I couldn't, couldn't quite work it out because I, I think Rico played really well. But that's the thing. We were yesterday denied by one of the best keepers well maybe in the world is a little bit of a stretch but Most certainly expensive. yeah <laughs> it's certainly up there and Fulham really had it been against I don't know an average Premier League keeper yesterday even with the uh, quality in Chelsea's squad would would undoubtedly have got a point if maybe not more and that that's that's something to be said for for what Fulham did and, and too often this season we have looked at games and gone oh we didn't get the points but oh we we played well um, it has happened too often, but yesterday was maybe one of those where actually you can say that and not it not be, uh, I don't know, a point to 
to be annoyed about. No, absolutely. I was saying if we were playing any other team that wasn't the top six, we we win that yesterday, and it certainly felt like. Uh, it certainly felt like we were definitely good, great value for the draw. And, and yeah, Kepa was absolutely man of the match. But Rico has come in for criticism. The only thing I would level at Rico is that he just doesn't catch the ball enough. But that, but other than that, he's he's a great shot stopper. He's, you know, sometimes those parries can can put you in the shit a little bit. But he, he is a fantastic keeper and there's no doubt about that. I, don't, I do think criticism is sort of unwarranted. You can sort of level sort of constructive pointers. But other than that, no, you can't, you can't really fault Rico, especially when you've got that back four or five or whatever it's, you know, been in front of you all season is that Tom Kearney's best ever game in the Premier League ever ever I wouldn't say I wouldn't say ever no. but when um, you consider the calibre of opposition yeah but I think it's his best game in the Premier League but I think when I know we're playing lesser opposition in the Championship I think he's still contributed more to a victory down there yeah I, I get that but I, I maybe necessarily think his own personal performance is he competed at a level yesterday more than he's had to compete before and, and, and given us a better output. I don't know. It's like saying, oh, a sprinter did really well because he lost. He, he won lots of races when he was in the youth championships, but actually he's had to push himself further, I don't know, to finish third in the Olympics. So therefore, on a personal level, I feel like yesterday was was the peak of his powers. And, and that's that's something brilliant. But again, play him in his right position and, and you often will see that from, from TC. Well, yeah, and he's going to be absolutely vital between now and May if we're going to, uh, or oh, is it this damage limitation operation that Scott Parker's got? He, I think Kenny is probably the key player and you, you're going to have to get him to play those that level uh, between now and May against, uh, you know, regardless of the opposition. Obviously, you know, he came off with 10 minutes to go, which probably wasn't the best, the right decision, but I got to wonder whether he was just on no battery then at that point, you know, whether he was just completely worn out. Do you think K-Max crucial to it? Do you think it's because he understands how to play with, with Kevin McDonald and and Kearney knows that he can go which way or whatever, but he has this telepathic understanding with, with Kevin that no matter which avenue he goes down, he knows that he's got that ultimate backup right behind him because Kevin will always understand what he's going to do and be there as a as a full guy. I think it's got definitely a part to play in it, but I also think it also helped that Chambers wasn't the other person in the midfield because then with Johansson, Johansson would sometimes be further up the pitch than Kearney was, and I think he knows he's got two solid holding midfielders there in a sort of a double pivot in a way that they, he knows that there is defensively able-ish players behind him. And so, yeah, I think that's, that does contribute to it. And it also contributes to that we know Kearney, yes, we were playing in midfield three last year, but you, we all know his best position is in a 4-2-3-1 as, and as a number 10. And we saw it in Ranieri's first game when he was so close to Mitrovic against Southampton. And he played so much better. I mean, that's where he needs to play, especially in the Premier League, because, you know, he's not exactly the most defensively aware player. So you need him further forward, and he's our most creative player. And, you know, he creates chances for other players, especially when you've got, you know, Babo and Sessionen running either side. And also, he's he's fully fit now. I mean, he was taken off after 80 minutes yesterday. Hopefully, that's not any kind of injury indication. But for so long last year, particularly, he had like a niggling knee thing or an ankle thing or whatever it was, and even the beginning of this season. But now, it's the first time I can remember him being fully 100% fit in so long. And it's no coincidence. It's best game ever, you're potentially saying. And his best game in the Premier League has come when he's at the peak of his physical powers. And, you know, you mentioned Mitrovic and, and K-Mac and all these players, how they're playing so well together. You know, we were much we were much more efficient with the ball yesterday. We only had 36% possession, but we had more, we did more with the ball. We were more dangerous in that second half, particularly with, you know, a 
what was it a third of the actual uh, uh, overall possession so and and Mitrovic was having chances as well and it's so often this season where it's got to about 60 minutes in a game and I've not even remembered that Mitrovic has been on the pitch such as his he's been starved by of any sort of service or delivery so all of these sorts of things are are little pluses that will all add up hopefully to hopefully at least one or two more wins before the end of the season. Is there a place back in this side for, for Jean-Michel Serri? Because I just look at this setup, and whilst I think it's great, I do like Serri. I think he offers an awful lot to this team, but I just cannot see if Scott's going to continue with this system and with Kearney as, as his fulcrum. How how he gets into this? How he gets into this starting eleven? Well, we've been saying it from the start of the season that those two don't really work in the same team, and I think that's that's the, that's the problem we've we've seen. And you know, if you look at the way we performed against Chelsea, there's no reason for anyone to be dropped. So, if you're going by that, no, he doesn't get back into the side. And you know, Seri is a great player, but I think he's just too. Him and Kenny, the way they want to, they both want to do the same thing, but from different roles, and it just completely messes up with the tactical system when you play them both at the same time. I think there's possibly only been one game this season where they've both played well and been in the same team. So I think yeah, at the moment, no, he doesn't because you know, yes, we we also we also Ken McDonald's not Premier League quality, but he does offer something that no one else can. Where you know he's just going to sit there as the anchor man to protect don't let our attackers attack, and you know Chambers in that box to box role did well yesterday because I think Seri isn't a box isn't a box-to-box up player. We are, we're, we're going to play one of you. You want someone in the Johansson mould or... Mm. I'm not saying... I think Anguise is terrible, but that type of player in... The, I don't think you can... Especially when we're five points like we are, I don't think you can have another creative player in there. I think your creative player should be just just that number 10. Oh, I was going to say, he could run into a bit of trouble when it comes to Serie. I was reading a piece today in the Telegraph from Sam Wallace yeah, and he was really saying... Good. Yeah, it was really good. And it was talking about the stuff that's gone wrong at the club. And one of the interesting things he said is that... Uh, the owners, Tony, Shad, whoever in the hierarchy, uh, are very keen on keeping Seri in the championship. Whether we go down, you know, if we go down, that we do, we still want to keep him because we see him as a player who's a good age and help us get back up. Now, if they're saying that he's an asset that we're having for the long term, you know, three or four, five games in, he's not getting any minutes at all. Maybe somebody has a word in his ear. I don't know. That that in, that article is is fascinating. Yeah. I was going to address a few of the points um, later in the podcast, but. It's written like he's spoken to someone or he knows some people at the club. It, the way he, he, he says things with too much confidence to not have a few ITKs at the club. So if you really want a, a revealing insight to uh, the power structure at, at Fulham FC and, and everything that's going on this season, it, it's fantastic. So um, make sure you check it out on, on, on the Telegraph website. I think uh, it's behind a paywall, but you just need to register and you can view it for free. I think. It, yeah. So yeah. you get one article a week or one article a month or, or something like that. Uh, just, just a final up on Chelsea, um, the two chances at the death were actually created without Kearney on the pitch even though uh, we, we, he was much maligned and we lost an awful lot of control when, when Kearney went off uh, Aite's flick for, for Mitrovic which part of me was watching that just like why don't you head that into the ground man it was so ambitious to try and kind of lob Kepa you had to put it on a sixpence from where he was I mean Mitrovic will look at that someone of his quality and be a bit annoyed because ultimately it's a free header in the box although he had to stretch for it yeah it was gonna, he's going to know that straight away isn't he as soon as he's done that I, I'm going to be looking at that and be haunted by it for the next few days at least because even from the hammy end it just looked like it was the perfect chance and just taken the wrong way but uh, you know given Mitrovic's ability and, and uh, you know with his head and whatnot, you know you almost can't begrudge 
one or two mistakes, but yeah, it was a ki- it was a kicker. And then final minute, I mean, it would have just been the perfect way to end a really good match for Fulham. Ryan Sessegnon, it breaks three for him in the box. It was it was just a, it was pinball almost, wasn't it, in the in the eighteen yard box, and it just fell for him. His legs offside. I don't think there's any question over to whether it's offside. I've seen a few people though, Dom. It'd be interested to see if you're in this camp who just question how on earth the linesman has has made that decision because it happens just so quick. Yeah, because when it originally happened, I assumed it was for the. F- the the challenge that Vieto made when he bar I don't know who he barged off the ball but he backed into someone and he pushed him off the ball I thought that's what it was for because I was like there's no way the line I was seeing a session was offside there because from the back of the Hammersmith end it looked it looked level and I was like it's going to be a really really close call it's not like the bla- the glaringly obvious offsides where I think one I can't remember who it was against but I th- I think it was when we beat Chelsea last time I think Bo Morte might have scored another one but it was offside but that was like. And I, you know that I was offside. And, you know, if you're celebrating it, you're crazy. And then, but for, for this one, it was. I thought, I, I, at the game, I thought it was it was level. But yeah, as I said, I don't understand how the Lino can see that. Same the same argument how I don't have a Lino didn't see Kane was offside <laughs> in the North London derbies. I just yeah, I, I, yeah. Everyone always says the benefit has to be given to the attacker. Um, but I, I don't know how. I honestly don't know how he's seen that. Yeah. Well, a lot's being said about the offside rule in general isn't it, about the VAR coming in, but you know, that's a whole other debate. But yeah, I, I think Cess overall, though, I think he had pr- quite a poor game again, sadly. I, I think, I remember you saying at the beginning of the season, Sammy, that um, that chance at Everson, he was like, oh, Cess last year would have put that away. And I think that's, and I, at the time I was like, no, come on, he's, he's just adapting. But now I do kind of think that something's happened. He's, there might have been a crisis of confidence or whatever, but, you know, Scott Parker spoke about needs to put an arm around him and and I think that's exactly what he needs because I, 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 everything about him just looks a little off, you know, like sixty percent of what it was. Yeah. And that's not to say he won't he won't be a great player in the future. It's just he's he's having a lull definitely, and it's and and it's noticeable because he is one of our better players. There was a couple of moments yesterday, and and I and I said this when I hosted the full time at the pub. I couldn't work out if Cess had a good game or a bad game because there were some moments of brilliance. Then quite quickly followed by moments where you're like oh come on Cess like for instance I thought something that epitomised it for me was um, he barges Emerson off the ball I think uh, it was a shot from Kearney well saved by Kepper and it went out towards the touchline and Sessignon did brilliantly to keep it in Emerson was completely out of position and Sessignon had a free hit either to find someone in the box or shoot himself in the end he just ended up kind of passing it at Kepper and it was just it, if that was someone like Abubakar Kamara, we'd all be saying, oh my God, he makes these chances, then he then he screws them up. But it just seems like confidence to me. Did anyone notice uh, Marcus Bettinelli's uh, Instagram yeah. post? Yeah, that was quite fun. So Sessegnon did his quite classic, we battled well, we gave everything, was much better performance, blah, 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 blah. He always does an Instagram and he's quite good on it, isn't he, on social media, fair play to him. Marcus Bettinelli's comment... You're a fucking man, no boy, a fucking man you are. So I think that maybe uh, puts uh, Marcus Bettinelli's allegiances quite clearly. Yeah, but I mean, Drew said earlier, like, there wasn't that much sign of unrest. I mean, I was literally going to mention that comment from yeah, Bess yeah. about, like, clearly they weren't subscribing to Ranieri's methods and they weren't happy with what he was doing, you know? So there was unrest and it's just come out on Instagram, like, after he's been sacked. <laughs> well, nobody nobody gave him the old cheers, boss, for, you know, whatever you did in... Well, I think uh, one, one thing you can point out is Ken McDonald's Instagram post about about the game, he didn't post it till Ranieri got sacked. Yeah, 
He probably knew. I think no, everybody knew that Ranier was going out oh, Southampton. So yeah, but, but what, no, what also annoys me is that if they were thinking about sacking him, they can't have been thinking about it till the Southampton game happened. Because if, if you wanted to get a new manager in, you left two of the biggest games that we needed to win in West Ham away and Southampton away. I'm not saying uh, it would have been ludicrous. If, I, I'm not saying it's been ludicrous, but everyone would be shocked to be sacked. Ranieri before the West Ham game, but it just it makes you think they can't they, the board can't have thought about it until they saw the fan protests and the fans their fans like you know you don't know what you're doing at Southampton away. I think that's what caused it caused the issue. Well, that's one of the really interesting things. Again, in sorry, I've probably just no, stolen no, Drew's point here. In Sam Wallace's article in the Telegraph, how it seems to insinuate that Claudia would have gone earlier but for Khan being in the US and not having I don't know the time or it was it was a little bit odd wasn't it but how certain elements of the club wanted him to go after the United game but it was because Shad wasn't around to make the decision up until after the Southampton game I mean that seems like complete negligence what was he doing he had two weeks well I read it as sort of uh, things take longer to reach Shaheed in terms of the the feeling around the club so you can get you know the operations of what's going on you can get updated daily but to get that feeling around the club of of the things are getting toxic that that's not going to reach you unless you know eventually somebody turns around and says look this needs to change and you know who's going to do that necessarily i was talking to kit simons last week in, uh, for the program and he was saying how you know when he got asked to take over the to the first team you know, places like the the canteen, for example, used to be a hustling, bustling place where everybody was there. It was such a great mood. And he was saying when he was coach, when Roy was there, Henry Rinzer came to interview Roy and he accosted Kit in the corridor and said, this is one of the best training grounds uh, in the Premier League for it's just this atmosphere and just how great you feel when you're there. Anyway, when he comes in for Magat, no one's in the no one's in the canteen. It's empty. Like people are walking down the corridors in silence. Like the club sort of rots from the inside out now you don't necessarily get that feel you're not going to get that feeling if you're in the US for better or for worse so when I you know I'm reading that and I'm thinking it must take you know a few weeks for that to finally reach uh, Shad Khan um, and even if Tony is you know there at Motswood Park uh, more often than he's not so yeah it is, it is one of the downsides having a, an owner who's not in the country I guess but uh, I don't know kind of it kind of seems a bit too late anyway. Like before West Ham, if we'd won, I don't know, would we have won against West Ham and then would we have got a result against Southampton? I don't know. It's all this buts and maybes, I guess. But but also, and I was thinking about this earlier, because well, I was like, oh, why didn't we do it before the West Ham game? Imagine if we did. And imagine if we got two defeats against West Ham and Southampton. You just know the tiffs of the world, the Twitters of the world, the friends of Fulham's of the world would have been up in arms saying... We shouldn't have sat Claudio. Claudio would have got us points against those guys. So you can't. You almost can't win to well, respect yeah, unless and, we had appointed Scott and, and got two uh, victories, yeah, which I still think is quite yeah, unlikely. P- people don't watch Fulham as well. Like I remember looking at BBC Sport article and the comments on that. They were it was ludicrous. They were like, "How can they sack him first Leicester now? This like he's a good bloke. He's what can he do with that defence? It's like I don't understand. People don't watch." A club every week can comment like that, you know, and it, that that was just a mini rant right there. <laughs> yeah, no, half of them, are, half of them are just trolls, aren't they? You know, yeah. But we're, we're, I feel like we're all guilty of it, though. We're looking at less. I'm looking at Leicester, thinking, God, what more do you want? You've got a manager here that's kept, that's got you comfortably in in, in the top ten under Claude Puel. So what? He's a bit boring in a press conference. Like, leave the man alone. But <laughs> yeah. you know, Leicester fans, if you listen to to a Leicester pod, and we've got the boys from the uh, for Fox sake podcast on later this week, I'm sure we're 
tearing their hair out at, at Claude Puel. It's it's and that and that's the problem for for journalists and stuff. They they see a snapshot of what's going on in a club and and they have and they have biases and prejudices from from past knowledge and and they apply it and think that they have some sort of wisdom over over a club and 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 quite frankly that's why fans do have the best view because we are the ones literally watching this team week in week out we see all the small nuances and and we and that's why pretty much unanimously this fan base realized that that Claudio Ranieri wasn't the option yeah and I mean I know the whole echo chamber and if you're looking for something you're more like to see it but I feel like we've got an undue amount of media attention this year I don't know I, I, I think that for a club in 19th place why are we getting all this all these articles and things like I know I'm looking for it, but you know you don't hear the same thing about Huddersfield, and they're they're just as doomed, if not more doomed, <laughs> than us. Yeah, and I think as well is when you're in the top flight, you get the thing that we don't miss necessarily when you're in the championship. You get this, you call it lazy journalist journalism, but for example, you get the 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 sort of pieces by Sam Wallace, which are genuinely decent pieces, but then you'll get the. Uh, we'll tack a couple of paragraphs at the bottom. You know, they spent 100 million. Then you know, they they, they can't organise the defence. Da, 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 and all of that sort of stuff. And it just gets repeated ad nauseum, doesn't it? And that's the, and that's one of the downsides to ha- being in the top flight because everybody's got an opinion, and half of them or three quarters of them are just nonsense. It's just really hard to be across everything. And there's you know, there's podcasts that you listen to, and and. And and I respect a lot of them, but it's difficult for people, for for columnists and podcasters to really be across all 20 teams exactly what's going on. And that's why you end up with kind of these lazy cliches. And and one of them for Fulham has been, they spent 100 million. Yes, we did, lads, but we also... Uh, lost our right back and we're, uh, and we're a squad full of, full of low knees and we needed some Premier League quality in the side it's just it's the same old thing and Wolves fans get annoyed of it because they just think that they um, have a dodgy agent and they sign um, top quality Portuguese players and they're like well there's a little bit more to Wolves as well and I, I guess that's the frustration from, from Fulham fans, but I guess you just have to take it with a pinch of salt and realise that, that these people are paid to try and have an opinion on all 20 clubs and actually all they're really able to get a full viewing of is often just the top five, top six, and the other 14, they just kind of have to wing it. See, I, I guess in May, uh, from May onwards, a, a, ch- a benefit of going back down to the Championship would be lower blood pressure because at least when you've got blanket coverage from, from uh, I don't know, pods like not the top 20, at least they're uh, measured and balanced and, you know, you're not going to get, you know, everybody on Twitter and their trolls and their dogs with their opinion of you. So that's probably one positive for next year. Yeah, we're looking forward to uh, <laughs> being back in contact with the uh, Not The Top 20 podcast. Uh, they've, uh, we've, we've missed them for this season. It just shows they managed to have a view on all 72 clubs and the fact that they're able to do that for me is is, is quite remarkable. How they're able to know the, the goings on at Berry Town, Forest Green and Mansfield um, as, as well as keeping up to the date with, with the Leeds and Villas of the world it is, is beyond me. One thing I always remember from last season in the Championship though is as we got towards promotion to the Prem with the same old questions at least this season there's a little bit of variety but whenever you got asked to, to come on I don't know do a blog or do a, fa- a, a away fan um, interview it was always like so so tell us about Ryan Sessignon uh, that Tom Carney's 
good, isn't he? And uh, and, and Mitrovic, it's like, yep, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm talk- here I am talking about Ryan Sessegnon again. So at least there's been a little bit more variety here in the Premier League season. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. Afterwards, we're going to answer some of your questions and we're going to discuss Scott Parker's appointment a little bit more. Hello, I'm Lucas Piazon, and when I'm not winding up Reading fans, I'm listening to Fulhamish Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Fulhamish Podcast. Sammy James here with Don Betts. Hello, hello. Guy Barlow. Hello. And Drew Heatley. Hello. Don, just before we went on air, we were discussing that this coming April is going to be the end of a glorious record, and and you are going to miss a Fulham match. Yeah, I'm I'm missing two. Watford or Everton at home, I'm gutted. So what if um, what if Watford gets moved because of the FA Cup? Which I'll, very much... I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for a long period of time, so I'll probably still miss it. Okay. <laughs> um, but would you almost be a bit disappointed that you ended up having to watch another Fulham match? I just don't want to have to travel to Watford on a Tuesday night. If I'm being honest, it's just a pain in the arse. I think I'd rather do it on a Tuesday night than a Saturday. No, I, so I'd, I'd rather I'd rather spend as little time there as possible. No, I'd rather Watford, <laughs> Watford away be a Monday night because then you go student night, you know, prison afterwards. So. Oh well, there we go, win win. Um, so, how many games in a row have you seen, or when was the last time you missed a last a one? I missed match? was Barnsley at home last season because I was too hungover. Okay, and but and before that, it was a long time before that, though, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I, I'm trying to think. It's probably away game wise. I wouldn't have missed the one I would have missed before that would be I feel probably Sun and the Way first game of season 13 14 so I did every what the pie team no, army no it would have been the um when Scott scored at Norwich on Boxing Day I didn't go to that oh okay and and I know you know a lot of the um away regulars and the ones that really go every single week week in week out do we know who has one of the lot who has the longest record of consecutive Fulham I, games I, 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 yeah, I'm not sure who, who would I know John Shirley and Chris who they they, they, they do all the preseason and do every game so I presume they haven't missed a game in like 10 years or something but Chris and Ian go to every game does that so, include like you know we'd had that friendly out in Spain um, in, oh no in, yeah, yeah, Chris went to that amazing I, I have nothing but but admiration. I mean, I, I'm <laughs> I miss a game of Debbie two or three weeks, and I, I even say to people, God, I go to Fulham too much. <laughs> so, I mean, fair play, fair play. Okay, so a little bit more Scott Parker chat. Um, obviously, there was all of the uh, reaction to his appointment and Ranieri's dismissal. What is success for Scott Parker? We're at the end of the season against Newcastle. An obvious answer would be survival, but that just isn't happening. So what is success for Scott Parker when it gets to the end of the season? Don Betts, I'll start with you. I think just we're so we're not in a mess for when we start next season. Because if you, if you remember we went down last time, we we were just a complete mess on the pitch. And I think that's one thing that and Scott needs to suss out who's... He, I know he may not be our manager next season, but if he is, he needs to suss out who's going to be here next season and, you know, put his faith, put a lot of his faith in them as well because, you know, we don't want to be we don't want to be playing a team which half aren't going to be playing for us next season because you've got a totally new rebuild job. But I can see a, a, quite a few of the players who played on Sunday being in our team next season. I don't see... It. The only ones I think will leave will be the lone players and Mitrovic. I think Kearney and Session, I can quite easily see... Obviously, Babel will, will probably leave as well, but I can see Kearney, Session staying, McDonald staying, Reem, Adoy, Brian, Christie. Seri? Yeah, he, well, he didn't play yesterday, so I was just going through the starting 11. Oh, him. sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But yeah, I think, you know, it's a, if a success for me is that we're, we're in a position where we can challenge to then try aim for promotion next season. A bit like the job Darren Moore's done at West Brom, really. I think, you know, they weren't a mess, to be fair. They were just lo- losing games by the odd goal. And But I think, yeah, a success for me is that we don't... We're, 
next season feels like a continuation from the last stage of this season rather than something completely new and where we have to spend half the season or spend the season rebuilding. How, how many how many points should he realistically be expected in order to kind of lift some morale? It's all well and good us playing well like we did yesterday, Guy, but ultimately at some point he does just need to get a few wins on the board. Is it is it two, three wins between now and the end of the season and fans would probably live with it? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, so we've got nine games left. Um, we've still got to play Cardiff and Newcastle at home. So that's, you'd hope, you know, two wins there for him. That, that's certainly what he'll be targeting and maybe Everton as well. But yeah, on a personal level, I mentioned earlier, he he wants the job. That, that, that That's the impression that I've got, you know. He, he's, he mentioned Darren Moore in his press conference, how he's done a good job um, at West Brom. And there was a lot of, you know, buzz around Darren Moore when he took over about him bringing back an identity to West Brom because he was obviously a local lad as well who played for the club and Scott Parker's played for the club as well I mean um, on a personal level that's what he wants and I was just delighted to see Ranieri gone to be honest even though a lot of people were saying there wasn't much point um, in him, him being sacked but I think there was and as Dom said it's a good point that if he can just you know bring some kind of continuity into next year, that will be a success. What did you make of, of Scott Parker's first few days in charge, Drew? Uh, he did a press conference. Uh, one quote out of it which got me was the one where he said he doesn't have many friends, which I <laughs> found a little bit strange. I don't have many friends, but Sir Alex Ferguson did text me. I was like, okay, I don't think you're struggling too much, Scott. I'm not going to get out the uh, violin strings. He's not mad passionate he's not Ralph Hasenhut sort of Jurgen Klopp jumping down the touchline but he does seem to have an aura around him that would make you listen yeah I think and when you've seen him celebrate a goal when he was a player for us he can get Hasenhut or uh, Mourinho down the touchline uh, fist pumping He, he can do it just in front of the camera, he's just not really that type of guy. Now, obviously, you know, he had his uh, Monday Night Football debut where he got ripped to pieces. Fine, being a pundit's not for him. He's got this measured nature in his press conferences where he's David Beckham-esque in his sort of high-pitched, you know, you know, but actually you find yourself listening to him because he's very deliberate and he's very, he's very uh, purposeful in what he says. Um, and, you know, let's not forget... He, He's been he's played with these players a lot of these players and you know a lot of these players are old and are, are of that age where they would have known the Scott Parker who was playing for England not that long ago and you know that sort of buys you credit um, for the job that he has to do now in terms of the future uh, in terms of what tangible things we need from in between now and May we need to be close to thirty points before the end of the season I think and and but as it it comes down to what Dom said we need to be on an upward trajectory. We've got all of the ingredients to be in. We're in much better shape than we were in 2014. Like that is absolutely abundantly clear. Whether we let go of some of these really big assets that have cost a lot of money or not, we are a better state as a football club going down to the championship than we were when we were under Magat. And then when Guy said, people said there's no point in sacking Ranieri. Well, absolutely there is because you need to have a runway in which to take off and be on that upward trajectory come May. So we've done that. Uh, all of the noises outside the club are very much look we know we're down we want to try and rebuild and rediscover our identity they've got two months to figure it out do we keep Scott Parker I struggle to remember a caretaker appointment permanent appointment that's worked out in the long term Darren Moore's doing really well at West Brom so maybe he's going to break that mould quite well yeah, quite well I mean, yeah, but like, uh, we, we'd take playoffs next year wouldn't you? surely yeah, I'd, I would yeah, yeah. fair point so, so maybe that's a thing, but 
you know, in history, it's littered with caretaker appointments that just haven't worked out long term. I mean, even the most successful caretaker stint in the in recent memory with Dimitero winning the Champions League, you know, it doesn't. They don't last. So I'm slightly literally the best caretaker job of all. Well, wasn't it? Wasn't it? And they just kind of think, well, I, I just can't. I don't know whether it's going to work. And that's just history playing a part in my mind. But you've got to make that decision in May. But I really do hope that behind the scenes, we're not resting all of our eggs in that. Scott Parker basket and we are thinking about what kind of club we want to be no it's a good point I, I, I mean when Norwich went down a few years ago maybe even with us you know they had Nigel Adams who took over towards the end of the season and then um, and then he left at the beginning of the next season and then um, Alex Neal took over and they went back up but at least they did have that kind of continuity I mean I wouldn't be surprised to be honest if Scott Parker did get given the job and then we started badly and then it, and then it got someone else and we write off next season and then we go again the season after that that would be my prediction as of now. <laughs> yeah, and that would be everyone's worry and that's the thing with caretaker managers and and look at Kit Simons things were very very positive after his caretaker spell in charge of the club and it felt like at the time he was the only person you could give the job to and ultimately it just didn't end very well at all did it did it i mean maybe the only caretaker appointment that actually you could say worked for us thinking back and i I maybe only stretching to my memory here is chris coleman because chris coleman was initially a caretaker appointment in a very kind of similar way kept us in the premier league although albeit i don't think we were ever in like we were, ne- we were never in the position we were. I think we need no. we needed a couple more wins to get over the line, kind of kind of status. But still, it ended up working very very well for us. Uh, however, how long you, that you spoke was. you spoke about Kit Simons when he left. It wasn't that good, but you got to remember when Slav finished lower than when Kit Simons left as well. So I, I think Kit Simons does get a bad rap. I think he, what he did what he did to keep up in both those seasons were, were, or that or that first season anyway was great. And I think, you know, if you look at the squad we had then compared to the one that Slavis had to work with, you know, we, we had Dan Byrne and Sean Hutchinson at the back. Like, that, that's not promotion contending defenders. But, you know, for me, yeah, it's, I'm not, I don't know if Scott Park is going to get the job or we should not. It's just because the club keep, I just call him caretaker manager every single time they post something on social media. So it's like, they know he's not going to, it's like they could know he's not going to be here for the permanent job. But, you know, it depends how he does, really. I mean... You look out there. Are there are there loads of managers you'd want now? Not really. And I think another point on Ranieri leaving is it was the main, the main reason why I wanted him gone is because if he stayed to the end of the season, half our players would want to leave because yeah. they don't want to be anywhere because this club, each, 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 no one in the dressing room I don't think liked him and you know no I don't think anyone respected him to be if I'm being perfectly honest. Uh, so I think you know that that was one of the main points for me that I didn't think. If we sacked Ranieri, we had more chance of keeping the likes of Kearney and Sessegnon, whereas with Ranieri safety at the end of the season, I could see both of them going in the summer. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you mentioned names that we might um, be linked with. There was Lee Johnson on Sunday, uh, obviously Bristol City, which I am hesitant to you know, be like in- enthusiastic about because, I don't know, Bristol City are... Good solid championship team. currently in the playoffs. He's a really streaky manager. Yeah, that's what I don't like. That's about what I was speaking to my Bristol City mates, and they're like, when he, we get into, we get loads of good runs, but we, there's nothing too consistent. And when with an owner like Shad Khan or, and with Tony Khan, if, he, if he's probably still be being our director of football, then you know I don't think Lee Johnson would last. Yes, everyone's like, oh, I know his dad uh, Gary's a Fulham fan, but where does that really get you? He, like he doesn't play this possession based beautiful football that we that we, we were expecting from a new manager that's not, that's not the way Bristol City play so uh, yeah as again it's like who who do we bring in and you know because you want to stick to the same principles that we got up last time and it just it's just going to be very interesting especially if Scott Parker does do well 
Uh, one quick point before we jump to some questions. Stuart Gray's back in the fold, and uh, lots of people very excited to to see that. He, apparently, uh, he's very influential when it comes to the defence. I'm always a bit nervous to to speculate as to how much influence a coach has or doesn't have because unless we're literally on the training pitch every day it's very very difficult to know but that from from lots of what I've heard and and the club went out of their way to publicize it really which which maybe suggests that it's a, it's a popular move amongst the players well yeah and if you look at when some of Slavisa's old back staff uh, backroom staff were got rid of or then all they left that they weren't really publicised on on the website or anything. Mm. There wasn't any any social media post really about them. So it was they clearly know this is a positive move. And I mean, a lot of a lot of fans have said that Stuart Gray was a big influence for us last season and a reason why we're not we maybe not doing so well this season. And, and if you look at all the players, the players seem to seem to like him. Everyone's everyone's all smiling again, shaking his hand and giving him a hug and stuff. So yeah, I think it is. It must, it's got to be a positive thing. I always forget that Stuart Gray was actually our caretaker yeah. manager. Oh, yeah. And uh, Peter Grant. Yeah. <laughs> a very, very. That was real proper banter era of Fulham Football Club, wasn't it? It's a baffling. When you look back at it, it does. It's crazy. Isn't there it? was two months of utter, utter chaos, and I don't think we won a single game during that no, period. Forty-nine days without a permanent manager, it was. Yeah, until Salutes took over. Wonderful yeah. memories. Uh, Drew Heatley, what's coming in on the question bag? All right, so we've got a question here from Sam Haynes, uh, and he asks, "Who would you be most disappointed to see leave the club in the summer?" Disappointed, probably Cess. Because I think people have acknowledged that Mitrovic is going to leave when we get relegated. Oh, that's because that was my answer was Mitrovic. I but, just will be gutted. I, I will, but I th- Cessna would... like. I've sort of come to terms with the fact that we're going down and that means Mitrovic is probably going to move on because he's the, I think he's the best striker outside the top six. But Cessna, obviously, what, what, he coming for our academy. Raul Jimenez might have something to say about that. No, he's, he's, no. He, Mitrovic is definitely better. <laughs> I'll give it a no, but like with Cess, for me, it depends how much money we get for him. <laughs> like, you know, he's an asset, isn't he? Like, if he goes for twenty million, of course he's an asset, to, really he's an asset to the club. Yeah. But what difference does it really make? No, to it, it, yeah, of course, as, as a it, fan, it, it makes no, no no difference to me personally. But it makes a difference to the club. You know, like yeah, but we they can't they don't they don't have to spend money, so it doesn't correct on the right areas anyway. So yeah, I'll be most guided to see Cess leave. Yeah, only because I th- or Kenny, because I think I've just come to the. T- I've come to terms with the fact that Mitrovic will probably end up going in summer. I think Sessegnon would be probably, apart from Mitrovic, the most heartbreaking. When it seeing Sess, I imagine I had a horrible thought yesterday. Honestly, it was like I don't know, imagining something with your parents or something. Sessegnon in a Chelsea shirt or something at the tra- at the training ground in the scarf, and it was just this horrible mental image. Like, God, please, please don't let that happen. So yeah, actually. I just, I, I, it would be so morale sapping, I think, for for the fan base to to see him go because there's just a lot of love there, and and there's been a lot of years since a real exciting academy prospects come through the club, and if he left in the summer, I just feel like we'd we'd see him leave without him producing his very very best stuff for Fulham. I think no one begrudges the fact that he will move on one day, but I just I just don't want it to be now. I just want a couple more years. We're gonna get at least two or three of these heart these gut-wrenching moments in the summer and football has this amazing thing of making you sort of rubbing your noses in these sorts of things not least when they come back to play you but like you when you have to watch them in the other team's colours when they get unveiled and all of this sort of stuff it's it's one of those things that's unique to sport and, and you know football in particular that really 
kicks you in the gut. And, When's know, the last one? When's the last one that really was like, oh, that's that's horrible. Dembele, yeah, you? I was gonna say that's that's a long time for yeah. one not because I couldn't think of anyone since Dembele. Because like, if you think about the big players we sold in the, in the championship, like there wasn't really anyone we, you were, in thirteen fourteen. I was gutted about. I was no, I was I didn't like it when Hangeland turned up in a Palace shirt because I loved him. I think you have to have a period of success to be gutted when players leave, obviously. So when you do have that, I think. But I think what 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 annoyed one more of them is obviously he was in his prime at the time, whereas Hangeland was had done his sort of stint at yeah. Fulham, I guess you can say, yeah. and you know his his time at the club was coming to an end. But and then obviously it become more on the way the way it happened, obviously. But yeah, I think when a player leaving and I was and you're know, really gutted about was you know Moose Dembele, Moose Dembele and you know. He, well, he left for Spurs, but really, did One, his, did his, has his career really? Like, he hasn't won anything, so I feel like he didn't f- f- fulfil his potential. Let's say if he went to a team like Manchester United. Oh yeah, but that's the whole trophies versus uh, and success yeah, but, debate. He's still had a bloody good career since leaving. No, he has. He's done, he's done brilliantly at Spurs, and Spurs and every and every player in the Belgian team and Spurs team says he's the best player they, in training. So, but I think yeah, I I, 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 I thought he'd be going on to win stuff. Because that's how you define success in football, and you can't define it any other way. Chinese Super League, mate. Yeah, yeah but the thing is, he's gone Beijing Guan, who I don't think are going to win the league. So, who are going to? Honestly, I would have absolutely no idea who are in prior position to win uh, the Shanghai China. SIPG, probably. Oh, okay. We never got the best out of Thanos Petsas, did we? You know. <laughs> <laughs> one player, one I was player gutted that, to see him go. One player that actually comes to mind um, is Steve Sidwell. When he left, I was actually... Oh, I don't know if gutted was the right word. But I remember when we went down, uh, we'd be looking at who actually... or oh, who's going to be the fulcrum of our side in the championship next season. I really thought we were going to build something around Steve Sidwell because he'd been the uh, one of the shining lights when we did go down that season. And I think it was well your chat with Steve Sidwell that you did in the programme where he said he'd have liked to have stayed. Yeah, it wasn't, he wanted to, it wasn't yeah. really his decision when he left. And I remember being really disheartened when that happened because I thought god that was a real missed opportunity there he'd have been brilliant in the championship yeah there was a load of players around that time who said the same sort of thing to me where they had contracts on the table and then the contracts disappeared so yeah could have been a lot different I think uh, if uh, you know decisions were stuck to uh, at the time but there we go and uh, just just quickly one word answers who's the most gutted you've ever been at a, at a player going Louis Sahar Jack Grimmer Louis Sahar Louis Sahar that was awful <laughs> when he came back was it only it was only like two weeks later wasn't it he came yeah. back and uh, scored against yeah. us at Loftus Road I remember checking that on teletext on a Sunday morning when it, when it came through we were yeah. fourth at Christmas yeah oh could you just imagine what might have happened and we still ended up ninth but imagine if we'd kept the goals and he was playing as lone striker as well for a lot of the first half of that season he was bloody he was bloody good wasn't he I know and he, he likes us now and he seems like quite a nice guy now but still every time I see him on Instagram it's just st- still tinged with a bit of Judas he loves, he loves United more though, doesn't he because you yeah. know as a retired player it's, you know, it's great to say he played for him but yeah bloody hell what's coming in next on the question bag alright well, well Guy touched on this earlier but I'd like to maybe just go into it a little bit more do we think it's possible to sign Callum Chambers uh, or maybe I'd, so this is from Lawrence Peterman I should, I should add and it says uh do you think it's possible to sign Callum James for next season? As I think he'd be fantastic in the championship. Now I don't, you know, it doesn't specify it's going to be a loan if we do it. But would we slash could we? I, I, I surely he, there'll be a Premier League team who'd, who'd, who'd. I'm not. Of course, I'd like to have Chambers. I think he's been one of our better players this season. But I think you know, I think he might even have a chance at Arsenal next season. You know, you know, you know, I mean, right? I've seen it, and you know, 
yes, he would probably be in defence as opposed to midfield. But I just, I don't, I feel like there would be a Premier League option for him. And you know, I think the only way for us to get him in the championship would be buy him outright. And that'd be way too much money to spend. Yeah, um, I don't know. He's, he's, he's going to have two relegations on his CV now with Middlesbrough and Fulham, um, which is not great for him personally. But yeah, I, I, I can't see us getting him, unfortunately. Um, I, I don't think he'll, go, he'll stay at Arsenal. Although, having said that, Carl Jenkinson is still knocking about and playing for them after a long old contract. So they do have a habit, maybe, of hanging on to these players. But yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a sad no for me. Yeah, it's not going to happen. I think if we, stay, if we had a stayed up... He hundred percent. I think we would have signed him permanently next season. I think he really, really likes it here, and I think it's a place he realizes that as a Premier League club, he could he could build his career and it'd be a platform for him. But I just think there's no way he's gonna step down to the Championship. And despite and apart from blind loyalty, why why would he? In, in, all, in all honesty, but really sad because he's he's been fantastic for us. And I just wish we'd have maybe spotted his potential in centre midfield earlier in the season. He doesn't pick his loan clubs particularly well, though, does he? I mean, he's got relegated with Middlesbrough and now with us, so maybe next time he goes out, farmed out from uh, from the Emirates, he can uh, I don't know, be a bit wiser in his choice. Do you know what uh, one uh, you know you take say about a curse of relegation? Daffer bet. Really? Oh yeah, I just think Sunderland for a start. Sunderland, Villa, and now Fulham. Yeah. It's the hat trick. And who, are you, <laughs> who uses these betting companies? Who uses Mansion Bet and who uses Daffer Bet? Like, I've never known anyone who doesn't use anything other than like the, the big ones, like Bet365 or whatever anyway. It's just weird that they get all these massive... They're paying yeah, money. Or, yeah. La- or Labrooks, exclusive specials yeah. and promotions. Because yeah. <laughs> <Right. laughs> like most, most, yeah, when people are betting, if they're, they're not, unless you, the only way you'd go through one of these companies is if you go on odds checker and it was the highest one for your hockey. But yeah, it, I've never seen Daffer Bet or Mansion Bet be with one of them. The, the I high, think that's precisely your answer, though. Yeah. It's, it's Brad... It's, it's Brand recognition when you go to something like an odds checker or something or something like that, and I mean, I think is it something like sixteen or seventeen of the twenty Premier League clubs are sponsored by a betting company? Yeah, and like seventeen out of twenty-four in the Championship as well, or yeah. something like that. And and they're all ones you you haven't heard of. Well, you've never seen a broke bookie. That's why there's all uh, all sorts of money and sponsorship, isn't there? But yeah, um, please can we lose Daffer Bet next season because they are a curse. I like the kit though. It's, well, it's, it's, it's a shame it's a Daffer yeah. bet isn't it well, it's a shame it's going to be associated with a shite Premier League season yeah but it's a bring game. back Grove no that's what I say oh, yeah. <laughs> shouldn't have left us they even sponsored us last season so bring bring back Grovener. <laughs> right next question um, okay so this is probably the last one we've got um, and I'm going to sort of tweak it a bit so sorry to Luke Johnson he said uh, yesterday was one of our best performances of the season however on paper uh, had a lineup that wasn't our best uh, was this good performance down to Parker picking players with the best mentality over natural ability? And I just want to sort of tweak that and say, you know, what is what is uh, more important in our position right now? Is it natural ability or is it is it mentality in these last nine games? It is mentality. We we know we've got players who've got bags of ability, but if they're not if they're not right for the team, they're not right for the team. It's picking a player on ability is like you've bought the editor on Football Manager and you see someone's current ability is the highest and you pick them in that position that's that's how, that's basically what it is but you, you want to pick players you know are going to work hard for the team work in the way Parker wants them to play and I think that's the most important thing because that's how you're going to see the best performances you know you look you look at you look at. I, I, hate, I hate comparing us to Cardiff but you look at them you know you say our players are, are probably better, better quality in certain areas but they work really well and they fight together as a team and I think that's what you need you don't necessarily need your, be- your most talented players on the pitch you need the players who are going to fight for the badge most yeah and I I don't know because I would kind of counter that with uh, 
you know, I heard Parker on the radio going about how he wants his players to fight and things like that. And I'm, and me personally, I don't really like hearing a manager say that. You know, like yes, part of a manager's job is to motivate his players, and that's and that's what we're talking about here. Ultimately, we're talking about motivation to play well for the badge, as you said. But part of me thinks that on that debate, the players should be able to motivate themselves. You know, and the the way it goes with you know relegation clauses perhaps with us that they're not they haven't done that and talking about new manager bounce it shouldn't shouldn't be a, shouldn't exist really should it no but I, I think it's been you know, this has been long standing for years and years that sometimes it's not always about the most natural player in 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 every position it's often who actually fits the system best I mean. 1966 we didn't necessarily win with, with all of our best players in some cases it was the players that um, had the right mentality for, for the situation I think Kevin McDonald epitomises that absolutely perfectly is Kevin McDonald not really mobile enough for the premiership yeah you could argue that but yesterday you show that there is more than just technical ability that is required to be useful in a game and, and with someone like K-Mac it's um, also, you know, things like you know, he was brilliant positionally yesterday and stopped so many Chelsea attacks. And also, just a leader on the pitch, and it, and you can just tell. And it, it's a sixth sense thing, but that the players were lifted by his presence. Tom Kearney's definitely lifted by his presence. And yeah, I think that as as we've got a free hit for the next nine games, results aren't really all that important. Although. I don't think losing 10 in a row for Scott Parker is going to do anyone any good. But I think that ultimately it is a lot about the mentality for the next nine games and, and performance is just as important as results. And yeah, I think that um, Scott did very, very well yesterday to, to look at the mentality in, in certain players and, and realise which ones were most important to play. And uh, Drew, is that all the questions for today? Yep, that's everything that's in the bag uh, today. Pretty, uh, pretty light bag today. Send in more questions uh, after the uh, Leicester game, guys. Yeah, we uh, it was just a little bit like thin on the ground today. Maybe everyone was just a little bit busy. Anyway, that is all for the Fulhamish podcast today. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, Fulhamish Extra will return uh, Wednesday evening, Thursday morning. We're going to be uh, previewing the Leicester game. Uh, we've got Pete Selby on from the for Fox Sake podcast, which is potentially one of my favourite podcast names. Uh, in the in the footballing podcast world uh, with an opposition view of everything to do with the Foxes. Obviously, interesting time for them at the moment as uh, Brendan Rodgers uh, t- looks to take on his first home game in charge. Uh, Drew, I've left you with the, uh, the pod name for today. Someone DM'd me the other day and said that our pod names are slipping, so um, no pressure here, Drew. But uh, what what we uh, what we thinking? Lord above. Okay, so this one was one that featured in our WhatsApp roundup this morning. If you've not signed up yet, why not? Uh, this is from Brian Day, uh, and it's downwards but upwards, which I think probably sums up the situation around the club at the moment. Well, Brian, the pressure's on you. If I get any more. <laughs> Um, shady DMs from people complaining about our pod names then I'm going to put them straight to you because it's all on you now anyway all that's left for me to say is uh, thank you to my guests Don Betts thank you very much Guy Barlow thank you very much cheers Drew Hitley thank you very much cheers and we'll be back for Fulhamish Extra on Thursday have a good week
ACAST powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. This spooky season, have a listen to Let's Talk About Myths, baby! A podcast about Greek mythology that tells it honestly and often with a lot of gore, at least when it comes to these spooky season episodes. Every week in October, I have released a new episode with various levels of spooky in Greek mythology. There are ancient stories of haunted houses, ghosts, werewolves, general tragedy, and even a very bloody tree. Greek mythology has a little something for everyone, especially when it comes to spooky season. So listen to Let's Talk About Myths, baby, every week, wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST, A-cast. 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 recommends. recommends.